0: I need to go alone.
1: We're all in this till the end. You've got friends out there. Good people will fight if we lead them. They've taken enough of us. Now we take the war to them. Let the final battle begin. Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker rated PG-13. Get tickets now.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Rico, and you're about to listen to Trex and Sci-Fi, the weekly dose of geeky goodness podcast. This is show 752. It is December 8th, uh, 2019. <laughs> I was almost going to say like 19-something. Wow. That's a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah. So, 2019. Yeah. Hey, how is everyone? It is only, geez, two and a half weeks about till Christmas. Uh, those that celebrate it are probably getting both getting excited and panicking because in in the US at least thanksgiving uh falls on the fourth thursday of november and this year because of the way the calendar works it was later it was about la- as late as it possibly could be because of the the first being of friday right yeah so so that basically uh, almost made us like one week closer you know we have that separation of thanksgiving and then in some people's mind it isn't, you can't really start thinking about christmas until you get through thanksgiving at least that's in my head so uh but um and i think my volume is way up it looks like i gotta dial this down on the mixer all right so um but today uh we're, we're not gonna talk about uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas very much uh, but we are going to talk about uh, I wanted to do another kind of blast from the past kind of a show I'm going to talk about some older um tv shows uh, basically stuff that I watched way back in the day in that dark time when <laughs> some of these are post star wars post the star wars, first star wars movie uh but even then um even though, like, I'm going to stick to basically, like, late 70s-ish to, like, into the 80s a bit. Uh, but even in that time, even once Star Wars hit, you know, because I consider that sort of, like, the changing point or one of the changing points in in movies where they started to realize, hey, people like this fun sci-fi fantasy-type stuff in movies. But uh, even uh, years after that hit, a few years after that on television, at least, you know, which there was, you know, cable was just starting back then, but there really wasn't much, um, you know, much sci-fi or fantasy on television. Not like we have these days where it's it's just crazy how much there is. So I wanted to go back and, and revisit some old shows, things I haven't really thought about myself even in a long time. Some of this stuff I've probably talked about at different times during the years of doing the podcast. But uh, I'm going to just point out a couple. Uh, I don't know if I've talked about them all. We're just going to go through maybe four or five of them. I'll give you a little bit of a breakdown of the show, uh, play maybe the theme song to it or whatever. And some of these are out on um, DVD. You can buy them. Uh, some of them you might have to find some bootleg things on eBay or something like that. Uh, but um, but simply put, some of these are, are fun and well, I think they're all fun, but it, it just it mostly want to point out that that um, and the funny thing or, or I, I'm, I'm bouncing around in my brain, I have a my brain sometimes works like I always call it, my brain's kind of like a ping pong table where it jumps from, you know, subject to subject or topic to topic at times. But um, most of these interesting and interestingly enough, uh, because of the time in the era and all, I. Uh, I think just about all these I'm probably going to talk about only lasted a season or even a very short TV season. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, this the stuff, we didn't get much of it, and it didn't last long for the most part. Star Trek was a bit of an exception in the 60s, he, and, and a couple of other shows managed to eke out a few seasons, but really not uh not not very long lasting so uh so that's what we're going to talk about of course you heard a little bit at the beginning of this show uh the rise of skywalker uh we're getting closer we're only a couple weeks away now so i'll talk a little bit about that at the beginning of the podcast but um let's do it i'm captain kirk ladies and gentlemen may i
2: present the winners of the 74th annual hunger games we are the black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice
1: to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. Of war. Resistance is futile. Yes, a Jedi strength flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side.
0: Iron oh. oh. oh, Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. But it's a gold titanium alloy. Oh,
1: I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do
0: that. This is Reach Home, and you're listening to Treks and Sci-Fi. All right, again, welcome back to Treks and Sci-Fi, everyone. I wanted to say also a big thanks to those throughout the year. We're in December now, so throughout the year, each month, uh, you know, a few dollars each in in most cases. uh, The... uh, the Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash Trex and Sci-Fi. Really, really very much appreciate you guys, uh, for those long-term donators on there. I really want to get a Skype call with just the Patreon folks sometime. That's kind of my thinking right now and do kind of a little Patreon thing. Um, probably in maybe early January, I'm thinking. So for those that donate, if you'd like to participate in that, I'll try to be contacting you. Uh, but I think we're going to do that. And, um, Maybe have a little fun over Skype one week and uh, yeah so uh, <clears throat> the so if you'd like to donate again and again I'm sorry my throat got a little froggy there but um, trex and sorry patreon.com slash forward slash trex and fi oh boy uh, again it's always even after 752 podcasts it, it's the starting that's always tricky so especially on a solo show, I've uh, I, I really do enjoy shows like last week where where we got on Skype and, and talked about the Mandalorian. It, it, it for me at least it's it is much more fun. I'm I feel like I'm looser and more uh, more probably my normal personality. I feel like when I'm by myself I have to be a little bit more uh, kind of contained in a way. And plus I, I when you're doing humor things or joking around or having some fun. You don't really do that in, in a solo. It's very hard to do that solo. Like like people that are stand-up comedians, gosh, I, I don't know how they manage to do that. That, that to me, would be the hardest thing to make jokes and be funny, but doing it basically by yourself up there on stage, right? Um, when you're with other people, it's much easier to, to play off them and, and joke around. So I hope you guys enjoyed that Mandalorian show last week. Spoiler alert, I'm going to talk just a bit briefly about um let's see i i did talk about three and four we got five just a couple of days ago i i won't really spoil it for number five but it was a good one and and the big thing in number five that happens is uh well we get to visit a place we haven't seen in a long time so that's all i'm going to say that was very cool i was very happy about that and and the show um the show continues to be great. This episode number five, especially, I, I, I really actually i am starting to really get into the music. They're, they're definitely started out, I feel like, lower key, but it's becoming much more a part of the show, much more... Uh, i mean it's frankly louder i mean there's more music i'm noticing and and it's more in your face than it was in the earlier episode so good good on that and uh i don't know if that was intentional or or whatever whatever has happened i'm 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 in favor of liking it a lot so the mandalorian continues to be great uh what else am i watching there's a new um I think I've talked about this a little bit. Harley Quinn has an animated series on DC Universe. Probably not a lot of people maybe have DC Universe streaming because, uh, you know, there's Disney Plus and so many streaming apps. But that's the show that I've I've talked about that has Titans, Swamp Thing, uh, the Doom Patrol show. And, uh, the, you know, Titans was the biggie. But they have an animated Harley Quinn. Uh, Kelly Cuoco uh, from Big Bang Theory is doing Harley Quinn's voice. Lake Bell is Poison Ivy and other good people are doing voices. Anyway, it's so really uh, it's cra- it's a crazy show over the top, but a lot of fun, I find. They've done two episodes so far. I think it's going to have like a 13 episode run once a week on Fridays. Um, I don't know when Friday turned into the, the day to release. I've, I've mentioned this before. They got the Mandalorians episodes mostly coming out on Friday. This uh, DC Universe releases new episodes of Harley Quinn on Friday and was doing Titans that way. <clears throat> but um, I think it's good, actually, because Friday there's generally not a lot on other network television if you watch network TV. All like the CW superhero shows are on earlier in the week from like Sunday Sunday. Sunday through like Wednesday. No, not Wednesday anymore. I think it's on Wednesday, but early part of the week. So, uh, yeah, but um, but yeah, that's a cool show. Uh, What else am I watching? Well, of course, we've got Crisis on Infinite Earths starting tonight uh, with um, the CW shows we're going to get we're going to get an episode, three episodes. There's it's a five part thing. and, And for the first time with one of these crossover events that CW has been doing, we're not going to get all the episodes right in a row. We're going to have to wait for the last two, in into uh, January. So, let me see if I've got this straight. So tonight we're getting Supergirl part one, uh, of this crisis. Tomorrow Batwoman, then a Tuesday the Flash, um, and then when it comes back in January we get um, Arrow and uh, Legends of Tomorrow. I don't know which one's first. I'm assuming. I'm assuming maybe Arrow is. Is first and then Legends. I I don't know. Maybe it doesn't really matter that much because there's so many crossover characters in these. But so, yeah, we're going to get the first three this week Monday, or sorry, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And then the next two, it's early January. Maybe the probably the I think it's the week after the new year. I think. I think. Don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure it's in the early first week or two of January that we're getting the the last two, and that's really not that big of a deal to me. I mean, it's only a month we're waiting. Um, We're probably all going to be crying and like all upset, and you know, on Tuesday when it's like ah, because the rumor around town is there's going to be a big cliffhanger kind of on at the end of part three. But come on, I mean, they've been if you've been watching these shows, they've been preluding a lot of things already anyway. So I think we've already know. Some of the big things that might happen in in this thing. I'm really happy about this. I mean, I've loved the crossovers. The CW shows, to me, uh, are still good. I think they've had a little bit of a rough start this year on a couple of them. I think I like Batwoman pretty much. I think it needs a little bit of fine tuning. Um, Supergirl this year has been kind of mixed for me. Um, Of course, The Flash and Arrow. Well, both have been kind of mostly setting up Crisis. Uh, Flash, maybe not as much as Arrow. Uh, but um, And Arrow is ending, too, of course, in that I think the last episode will be that when they come back in January, I think. So, all uh, right. Unless they have one bonus one after that. I'm not sure. I think they might. Uh, but, um, yeah. So, for superhero fans, for superhero CW fans, we're, we're super excited about this. That's probably most of, um, the geek type TV that I've been watching currently. I'm still trying to work my way through a few things on Netflix. Um, I want to get onto a couple Amazon prime shows like Jack Ryan season two, not really a nerd show, but carnival row. I want to watch, uh, my son was telling me about another show. Uh, I think it's Amazon prime also, um, called the feed something about in the near future. Like, um, you have the ability to see the internet in your mind or something like that, maybe. And, and, it, and, and it's constantly giving you this feed of information. I don't know. He, he, he's watched a few episodes. He said it was pretty good. So, um, yeah, a ton of stuff. Netflix has got a ton of, a ton of stuff. Um, uh, I think I, oh yeah, it was last weekend. Yeah. So I watched, um, it wasn't a nerd thing, but I watched this, uh, movie called, I think it's called triple frontier which i didn't really get the title of it but ben affleck was in it and uh so was pedro pascal who plays the mandalorian and so was oscar isaac who plays uh poe dameron they were both in this movie and and it was so funny to hear pedro pascal talk because his his you know he's using his basically his mandalorian voice and uh and, and even though they kind of make it a little little, little electronic sounding in the show, in The Mandalorian, it, it was, it, it definitely sounds just like him. And it was sort of weird to see him in this movie just talking. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was an okay movie. It was, on, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix made for Netflix movie, which, um, you know, they get some pretty big name people now for these made for Amazon, made for Netflix movies. Uh, it's, uh, pretty crazy that uh and and it's interesting there's this Aeronuts movie that just came out uh with Eddie what's this guy's name Redmayne is that his name who's in the ha- recent Harry Potter um Newt movies whatever they're called uh Fantastic Beasts right and um what's his name why am I blanking on her name that was in Rogue One uh off to look it up uh Felicity Jones yes that's who it is so and I didn't look that up it came to me <laughs> But they're in that movie, but that point I wanted to make, and not really a nerd thing, nerd type movie, but they, um, that movie's in theaters now, but in a couple of weeks, it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Although I'm not sure if it's going to be a paid, you know, Amazon thing. Like, I'm not sure if it's going to be offered to people who, for free, who have Amazon Prime already. Not quite sure. But they're, you know, they're trying all kinds of new ways to get people to watch stuff like this. So. And of course, Disney Plus, there's a ton of things. Although, honestly, I haven't really had a time to watch a lot of other things on Disney Plus. I, I've watched The Mandalorian, I've watched a little of the Jeff Goldblum thing, uh, a couple bits of other things, but I, I uh, you know, for the most part, there's a couple of bits of new content on there. Like, there's some Disney Imagineering, kind of behind the scenes, making of um, the Disney parks and stuff that I've heard is pretty good but but really m- for the most part the tv and movie stuff that's on disney plus i've seen and this was what i was i was talking about this a while back was just my for me at least i mean it's great to be able to just click on there and you know, can pull up a marvel movie or pull up one of the star wars movies or even some of the star wars animated stuff but i've i've seen all that and uh, it's fun to see again but i've also mentioned over the you know years doing the podcast i'm not a, there's a few exceptions to this but i don't these days, I don't really have time and sit down and rewatch stuff very much. There's always so much. I always think to myself, well, I can sit down and rewatch like this movie or this TV series, or I can watch something new. And I always pretty much go to something new. I, I, I uh, and I, you know, I have kind of limited time anyway. My job is pretty busy during the week. I don't, I don't during the week. I don't watch a lot. I mean, I watch a, a show or two a night, maybe. Um, but with every all the new content coming, that doesn't keep you up with things. It doesn't even keep me up with new shows coming. So uh, so yeah, I don't really re-watch stuff. So Disney plus for me has, has basically been the Mandalorian. Um, and they're gonna do Marvel shows on there. We're gonna get the Kenobi show eventually and, and uh, that uh, Cassian Andor series and we're gonna get some other um, more rebels, right? I think we're gonna get some more a little bit more rebels. So, uh, or Clone Wars or both, something like that. I've lost track, frankly. So, um, so yeah, lots of cool stuff to look forward to. And I'm looking at my time here. I'm about 17, 18 minutes into the podcast. We probably should break. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say, uh, Lynn and I went to see, uh, Frozen 2, finally. Uh, yesterday, we went to a local small theater yesterday and went to see. That was great. Uh, you know, that, the first movie was great. I don't have a little girl around, you know, daughter or granddaughter or anything yet, but... The – um, so so I, I, I never got uh, – I know a lot of people with smaller kids got burned out on Frozen, you know, especially those, I think, with girls who identify with Elsa and all that. But the – I never really – I didn't watch it or didn't have to watch the first one a ton, so I didn't get sick of the movie or the music. So – and this one is good, too. I – I've heard a lot of people been saying like they thought Frozen Two was just a, so much better than Frozen One. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I think they were both equally good um, with great music, but I, I didn't. I didn't feel that there was a, this. You know, whatever. It, it's good though. I mean, if you enjoyed the first one, you're gonna enjoy this one. So, simply put, um, and Jumanji, the next level, which <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. I'm not quite looking forward to it, you know. Rise of Skywalker, of course, is the biggie, but I really liked, really, really liked the first movie. I mean, uh, The Rock. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll watch him in anything. He's kind of like Ryan Reynolds. I'll, I'll watch either of those guys in just about anything. Um, and e- even though they, you know, they they tend to kind of play themselves these characters a bit, but um, and there's just a lot to uh, have have fun with in that yeah so had to uh, pause for a second but um, so I'm looking forward to Jumanji this week and and then the following week it's Star Wars we're actually going Lynn and I are gonna go on the 20th uh, like a midday show on the 20th but I'm not going on the 19th I I, I decided I kind of wanted to go see it with someone what I've typically been doing with these movies is I've gone by myself like the on the fan night before and then going with the family the next day or something. But this time I'm just going on the 20th with Lynn to see it the, for the first time, and then I've got tickets for um, for the family. We're gonna all go on the on December 24th on Christmas Eve. We're gonna go see it because my son and his wife and my other son uh, will be around, and Lynn's gonna watch the little guy, my my grandson Bryson, and then um, the rest of us are gonna go see uh rise of skywalker on the 24th rise of skywalker you just have to say it like that right like the emperor but oh uh, and i and i know i'm gonna have to go on blackout for a few days off the internet uh and and there's people that have been saying things have already been popping up now a lot of people uh, think they know what's going to happen in this movie or are making stuff up i mean but i suppose some people may somehow have found out um really really shame on people if they do really know anything officially and spread it on the internet I mean we've, we're only a couple of weeks away so so that's coming and yeah look excited by it and uh, I, I I do hope it's I mean I think it's gonna be a good movie I, I you know I but I hope it really I think my biggest hope for this movie is that it's satisfying enough that most most People, fans, and even non-fans enjoy it, so that we can get past this whole like, "Oh, Star Wars sucks. Disney's destroyed my childhood." Idea, excuse me, that um, that these late, you know, these last seven, eight, nine movies have not been that good, and especially, you know, people were really, really down on on Episode Eight, uh, even Episode Seven. That kind of fell into then the trap of people saying, "Oh, it was just kind of a, a rehash of Star Wars. There wasn't really anything there." So, um, I think they've heard all of this. Um, this has certainly been all over the internet and, and, and the voices are out there. So how much JJ Abrams and the people working on, uh, this latest, you know, episode nine movie took all that to heart, uh, about the movie, uh, and, and, influenced what they did, um, We'll see. I guess I have a feeling from little things. I'm seeing JJ interviews. He's a very he's a master of basically talking and getting you excited, but not really saying a lot. But there's little stuff that slipped through that that's giving me you know a lot of hope. And I I, I you know he says even though even though this is the last movie, there was a lot to wrap up. But he said they also tried to take some chances too. I think that's good to still do that. So, um, yeah, I. I but um, and the last thing, and then we're gonna get off to talking about some old TV shows. Is um, I just hope it ends on a good note, and, th- and then I, you know, hope it leaves a little bit of room for opening because you know this new cast is very young. I mean, for the most part, there's no reason we couldn't get uh, another set of movies in in. Few years down the road, with including them, they might not call it the Skywalker Saga, and maybe they'll renumber or start some new series. Um, but that's fine. I mean, does does anyone really think we're not going to have these characters by the end of Episode Nine? Uh, I I don't think any of them are going to die. I don't. I think that would be crazy. I mean, I suppose maybe Poe or Finn. I mean, I I can't see them doing anything to Ray. That would be nuts. That would be nuts. They'd have a riot on their hands, I think. Um, and Star Wars is about the you know you know goodness and and good triumphing over evil and and all that stuff. You can't you can't end a whole saga on a on a sour note like that. So so my point is is that you can they could certainly in five years or something have these characters back. Same thing with like the Harry Potter movies, you know. I'm sure that I, I have no doubts that we will get a continuation with those characters, older versions of them with those actors in five years, 10 years or something like that. So um, I don't know why I'm saying all that it doesn't really matter. But uh, and I've talked a lot here in the early part of the show. So let's get going. Let's talk about older TV shows. Um, what I'm going to do is... Um, I think I'll take a little break, and then I'll come back, and we'll, we'll get into that. So here's a little pause. Here's a little uh, maybe another podcast ad for some friends of mine, and then I'll be back, and we'll get into older sci-fi TV shows. I'm
1: Jen. And I'm Angela from the Anomaly Podcast.
2: And you're listening to Tricks and
1: Sci-Fi.
0: All right, I'm back. Uh, so, the um, <clears throat> again, the t- time period I'm talking about is late '70s into the '80s a bit, and this is a time where you know there was not, like I was saying earlier, not a lot of uh, not a lot of sci-fi and television. I was growing up, you know, with watching reruns of of Star Trek. I was watching some animated cartoon stuff. The um, the show Space 1999 was around, a couple seasons of that in the in the mid 70s, and that was about it. You know, there was Doctor Who was playing in in the um, the UK, and we would get that on some UHF. If Anyone know UHF? Know what that means? <laughs> that was uh, you know some old TV channels on UHF that we could watch Doctor Who on. But I never really got into the older Doctor Who show very much. I would catch some episodes. There were things like The Twilight Zone and Outer Limits that had been, you know, had been done years before that I would watch now and then. Some movies, monster movies, a lot of those, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff uh, that's get covered, uh, you know, here over the years. You just, but not much TV. So, um, so the first show that I wanted to talk about, let's just get into this. Uh, And again, uh, this I grabbed onto anything, you know, I was reading like the early days of Starlog magazine and any um, television or movie that was was on the horizon or was coming, I, I was just trying, you know, I would try to watch it. So the first show, one of the main shows that I wanted to cover that, on this that I haven't really, I don't think, I think I talked about this once when I was doing some kind of show like this before, but I wanted to bring it up again because uh, I thought the concept was really cool at the time, and I still do. Uh, the, the show was mixed in, you know, generally my opinion, but it, it had a really cool premise. And uh, the, the show I'm talking about is called The Fantastic Journey. This, uh, this show, uh, let's see, let me get you the, the basics of it. Uh, it was for an NBC show that aired... Uh, from february 23rd 1977 to june 16th 1977 so just prior to star wars the first star wars movie coming out um and you know maybe if it had hit if it come out the year after but it really isn't anything like star wars like you know Battlestar Galactica is the biggie that came out as a as a direct direct um result of star wars very very much like star wars you had you know, pilots and little ships they'd fly around and fight bad guys and everything. I mean, it, it was its own thing. And I love the original Battlestar Galactica, but it was definitely a direct reaction to Star Wars coming out uh, when it did. So the fantastic uh, journey, uh, the premise of the show is basically the, the series. I'm going to read a little bit of Wikipedia here for you. The series concerns a family and their associates who charter the, a boat out into the Caribbean for scientific expedition, But after they encounter an area of the Bermuda Triangle with an unnatural luminous green cloud accompanied by the eerie disembodied sound of ship's bells, the group find themselves shipwrecked on a mysterious uncharted island from which they are unable to escape. So essentially the premise, this is in the 70s, uh, late 70s, and even up until now, uh, the Bermuda Triangle was, was, was a big thing, you know, people... People were really on that. They were on UFO sightings, all that kind of stuff. So the uh, what happened, though, to these characters when they got to the island is and and this is where the show is kind of like the TV show. And I'm not going to talk about this other one I'm going to mention right now because I think I did a whole show on it. But sliders, um, what I mean is that on once they got to the island, what they discovered quickly was that there are different like zones on the island and each zone was sort of a, like a, a different like world, a different time period. Sometimes um, even even non-Earth beings, they'd run into aliens, um, but it was supposed to be different time zones, essentially. And they would they would travel through these different zones and they were trying to find a certain zone that would allow them they found out through through various um, things that happen. They were looking for a particular zone that would able, able to, enable them to get back home. So let me play the uh, theme song music um, intro for, fantastic, for the Fantastic Journey, and uh, we'll come back and talk just a little bit more about it and then talk about some other shows.
1: Lost in the Devil's Triangle, trapped in a dimension with beings from the future and from other worlds, a party of adventurers journeys through zones of time back to their own time. Varian, a man from the 23rd century, possessing awesome powers. From 1977, Fred, a young doctor just out of medical school. Scott Jordan, the 13-year-old son of a famous scientist. Liana, daughter of an Atlantean father and an extraterrestrial mother. And Jonathan Willoway, Rebel scientists from the 1960s. Together, they face the frightening unknown on the
0: Fantastic Journey. Yeah, so how do you dig that uh, that uh, 70s-style music there for the opening credits? But it gives you a feel for the show. So executive producer Bruce Lansbury worked on this. Uh, the other big thing, and she just passed away just this past week or so, a DC Fontana was was uh, was one of the writers the main writers on this show and there's some commentary here about her um, as usual they, they had a very short time to develop and produce the show before it started to film and it it, um, it really showed I think that they basically didn't have anywhere near enough prep time that um, to get them going on this uh, the show did have some exotic locations that they filmed in you know it was it was pretty well produced. Uh, the, um, we had Roddy McDowell in this show, which Roddy McDowell from Planet of the Apes, I mean, he's, he's awesome. This rebel scientist from the 1960s, they were going to feature, um, the the idea with the show is they were going to do different lands and they were going to do some things from the past of earth and stuff and things like that. But I guess the network they're saying here in this, in, in this internet thing that I'm reading is that, um that they were pushing the network was pushing them to keep everything more in a futuristic and somewhat alien tone so that that was quickly kind of how it went they only did um 10 episodes of this show and it is uh again just a very short-lived series from the the late 70s uh I, i i distinctly remember watching this show and it was uh it was pretty cool and uh There was a a young boy, kind of like, you know, the the Wesley Crusher, Ike Eisman, played him. And uh, he was uh, Scott Jordan. He's the son of the famous scientist you hear. There's a doctor uh, played by a guy named Carl Franklin. Uh, Katie Saylor is Liana that you heard in that. Uh, And and Varian, of course, had this. uh, It was from the future, and he had this little tuning fork device. It was almost like a sonic screwdriver. In other words, it could it could use a lot. It could, it could do a lot of different things: opening doors, disrupting you know uh, control panels, uh, a lot of stuff. It could even use had some medical uses too. So, um, but again the um, the ratings ended up being very low, and the and the show was canceled. So uh, unfortunately, we never really found out. And uh, I don't know if they ever really did any like follow up novels, like some things do. Um, I have a uh, what's known in the uh, what's known in the vernacular as a bootleg copy of this on DVD, which basically, I you know, to me, if they haven't released that on DVD, it's essentially what people have done. These shows have aired on different things over the years, on like the Sci-Fi Channel and other networks, and people will record those and then transfer them to a, a DVD and sell those things. And, and then the, the copies are not that bad. The other source, if you want to watch this show, um, you can you can seek that out. I don't think it's re- released officially on DVD uh, even now, where they've they've started to release some shows that weren't like like will give an example, and I'm not going to really talk about it because I've talked about it pre- previously quite a bit on this podcast. But the Man from Atlantis, Man from Atlantis television show and the TV movies, even that they did, they finally did release that officially on DVD just not that long ago, maybe a couple years ago, um, which before that you had to find, you know, people who had recorded episodes or put them out on a DVD. That was your only way to watch these old shows. But your other source, your other pretty pretty good source these days is YouTube. A lot of times people will put these older shows up on there. Sometimes they're in multiple parts and multiple entries. Uh, and, and most of the network people and, you know, copyright people or whatever for a show that's like the show is forty. Let's see. Do some math here. Forty-two years old. Um, it's not like no one really gets all worked up about that if those these things appear on YouTube. Uh, so, so there you go. That's how to watch a Fantastic Journey. So um, let me uh, let me get you going here. Let's do our, our next show that I wanted to cover. Uh, I think. Um, let, yeah, we'll go into, uh, there's, there's two shows that are very, we'll have a similar premise, let's say, but we're very different shows. Um, there were two shows about the Invisible Man. One was called Invisible Man, uh, and, and one was called Gemini Man, and they, they were very different shows, and I'm going to cover those, uh, next here. Uh, let me pull up the Wikipedia. I'm going to pause this for a second. All right, here we go. So, um, so th- this first one, so the Invisible Man television series, uh, this uh, this one is the the one I'm talking about specifically. Uh, aired from uh, September 8th, 1975 to January 26th, 1976. It starred David McCallum. He uh, was uh, previously in The Man from Uncle, so you'll kind of know him. I think he's on one of those uh, NCIS shows. Uh, so the guy's still around, still still acting uh which is amazing great and uh anyway david mccallum played dr daniel weston all right so he was a scientist and this is kind of inspired by the hg wells novel um let me give you a little bit of the wikipedia thing here so uh the pilot film depicts daniel weston working for a company called called the clay corporation which is doing experiments in teleportation but he discovers a side effect, and this is it, it, this is a very Star Trek kind of feel, you know, because they're trying to experiment with teleportation. Uh, but a side effect of his work, he he finds out is um, he's able to turn objects invisible, and uh, he tries to find uh, medical applications for this. He discovers that objects that are made invisible or reappear after a few hours, but on um, and on living test animals, the collars they wear reappear after the living cells them sm- the after the living cells so he's kind of obsessed by this whole thing and Weston decides to become visible himself in part to prove that a human can survive and also to test a serum he is has he developed to reverse the invisibility um, but it turns out and uh it turns out that he can't make himself visible again uh he's he's you know the serum doesn't really work and then it turns into this sort of government agency kind of after him kind of a thing a little bit. Um, they did uh, 13 episodes of this, another short-lived show that, you know, didn't get the ratings. Um, but David McCallum, it really sells it. And and, and the cool thing about the show, a couple other cool things. Well, one, you can get this on DVD and even Blu-ray now. So how do you like that? <laughs> That's amazing to me. Uh, and... Um, but they treated this very seriously. You know, it was really, uh, really treated well. Uh, the cast was really good. David McCallum, basically, uh, there was a woman, uh, Melinda Fee, who was in this, uh, actress and, and a guy named Craig Stevens, uh, also were, were the big characters in here. Um, Melinda Fee is, is, is Daniel's wife, Kate Weston. Um, I love that name too, Daniel Weston. I don't know. There's something about that name that sounds cool to me. Um, but, um, so what what he'd end up doing in this show is because he was basically permanently invisible he would wrap clothes right he he would wrap up himself like like the old old invisible man movies he would wrap himself up wrap his face in bandages and stuff like that put glasses on a hat all that kind of stuff and um, and then I, I and then if I, you know it's been a while actually since I've watched it but I, I think what they did also is they they created a mask for him. So what they did is they sort of used this latex material and painted his face, okay? And and then they he could, therefore, the actor could kind of appear as himself. He got a wig um, and he would have this latex. Kind of think about the mission recent Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise or even the old show. Uh, so he created a sort of latex mask that would just he would pull it over his, his invisible face and then he could, the actor could appear as himself. And anytime something happened in the episode where he needed to, you know, get invisible and, and and do something to escape or, or, or outwit the bad guys or whatever, he just had to peel all his clothes off and and run around naked, invisible, Uh, which I always, I always think about that with it, with this, um, uh, with this type of invisibility, when you're closed, don't go invisible too. That's a lot of naked running around, you know, and, and doing things. Uh, but um, but anyway, so uh, that um, that was this show. And, it, and it, I know it sounds a little bit funny and a little bit goofy. Um, I'm not going to play, I don't think, the opening um, uh, credits to this. I think if I remember right, it was just music. I don't think there was any any words to it, although it has a pretty good theme song, because one of the guys that worked on the music for this show actually did the theme music uh, is Henry Mancini. Uh, Oh, heck, maybe I will play it then. You know, I I always like the music and I think it's fairly short. So let me see if I can find it here on YouTube and play you the opening to this 1975 television version of The Invisible Man. All right, so there you go. That uh, That's the Henry Mancini theme to The Invisible Man from 1975. So the, the weirdest thing about all that, or one of the weird things to me at least, is about a year or so later, um, the uh, they decided to do another show about an invisible man on television, on NBC this time. And this one was called Gemini Man. Yeah, the same title as that recent Will Smith movie, which was pretty good. and People should see it. I, I, I thought that was a pretty good movie. Eh, maybe not the greatest thing ever, but still fun. So Gemini Man, though, uh, this guy becomes uh, or can become invisible. Let me let me back up a little few steps here. So this, this show uh, aired on September 23rd, 1976 to only to october 28th 1976 how's that for a short run um yeah basically they got 11 episodes in plus the two hour pilot and and aired for for uh for not very long uh so yeah um so man if you blinked you missed this show uh the um so the uh the, the, like it, it says right here at the beginning of uh, Gemini man was created to replace the previous seasons, the invisible man using simpler and less expensive visual effects and special effects. So, uh, the here, the actor, Ben Murphy, who, who was, um, in an old Western show called alias Smith and Jones, which is also a very cool show. Uh, Ben Murphy was a pretty regular TV actor, uh, back in the day. Uh, real kind of cool guy. I, I he, he, to me, he was sort of a lot like Chris Pratt is these days, kind of laid back, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, mischievous at times. And, and just uh, anyway, that he, he played a lot of those kind of roles and parts. So but uh, he plays a guy named a secret agent guy named. Uh, well, here's, here's what they say on Wikipedia, a laid back, denim clad, motorcycle riding secret agent. I mean, come on. How cool is that? Named Sam Casey. He was uh, diving to retrieve a fallen Soviet spy satellite. Uh, When he was uh, under the water diving, he was exposed um, to some radiation when there was an underground explosion, which rendered him invisible. Um, The agency he worked for, um, this high-tech government think tank called Intersect International Security Techniques, They, they basically found a way to return him to visibility and control his new power by the use of a special wristwatch called the DNA Stabilizer. Uh, it was invented by scientist Abby Lawrence, played by Catherine Crawford. Uh, he'd press a button on the digital watch, would make him vanish. His clothes, in this case, get this—so his clothes would vanish too. So <laughs> he would not, he, he would not uh, have to run around naked like David McCallum did in the, uh, you know, when he would go invisible, uh, he got to take his clothes with him. So I guess the idea is he's got this radiated aura and his clothing and stuff. And I think anything he would grab or hold, a small tool or whatever, all that stuff would go invisible too. However, the limit was the stabilizer thing uh if he turned it off which essentially he's turning it off when he's going invisible and it's and it's you know rather than making him visible it's 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 turning off the stabilizing element and allows him to go back invisible but the limitation was he used this little cool little digital wristwatch was he could only do this for 15 minutes a day if he did it longer than that he would die so and when it got close which most episodes that i remember he would always get kind of close to that 15 minute limit and he would it would start to really mess him up he would start to feel ill and weak and you know typically he'd be fighting some bad guy and he'd be clicking off the seconds um the uh, the funny thing about this show or one of the things I, I, I can recall is that in the mid-70s, you know, digital watches became like this when they first really got going when digital calculators and digital watches and and stuff. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say this at the beginning of this whole podcast. <laughs> there's this meme going around online, you know, there's this stuff these days about, you know, calling everybody um they're not calling everybody uh the, this meme you know that's being used uh, for um for some things and then the tagline on the end of it is okay boomer for people who are baby boomers right like you know and i i was born at the very tail, 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 tail end of baby boomers and i i honestly don't even really consider myself part of that group because it's not i'm not you know i'm a kid at heart and i like all this nerdy geeky stuff and a lot of that older generation wasn't as into it as I was. Certainly when I was growing up, nobody else was into it. Uh, now it's, everyone's into it. So I've always felt like I'm more the next generation than I was the, um, that generation. But anyway, suffice it to be saying, suffice it to say that this whole episode could be labeled. Okay. Boomer, you know, cause I'm talking about all these old cult classic TV shows. So, uh, yeah, but, um, so going back to my digital watch thing, so this, when when digital technology uh, started to show up and digital watches started to show up, this Gemini Man, Man series, you know, kind of capitalized on that. And this guy who could go invisible, he had this cool little digital wristwatch thing and he would just tap a button. So all the kids, like basically, or people who were into this geeky nerd stuff, I mean, I can remember imagining like I had my little digital watch and I'd push the button and think I could go invisible. Of course I wasn't, you know, but hey, any, anyway... It was a cool little fun thing at the time, and it just shows, you know, how shows and movies and television kind of have influences from what's going on in the tech world. Well, that's nothing new. So um, let me play. I didn't play this yet, right? This one's also just only music, but it's a pretty cool little theme song, and I think it's only a minute long. So I'll play the opening theme credits to Gemini Man. By the way, this is this one's probably the. Uh, of the shows, I think I'm going to talk about. This one's probably the hardest one to track down. I don't even have a bootleg one of this. I think some of it is on YouTube. Um, th- this was a this is a pretty obscure one. Uh, the other Invisible Man series, like I said, you can even get on Blu-ray. Um, fantastic journey. I know you can get on bootleg. I don't think it's out officially, but Gemini Man is pretty hard to find. Uh, I, you'd have to do some digging for this one. So here is the theme song, though, to this Ben Murphy uh, TV series from 1976. <laughs> Yeah, so there's the uh, opening music, pretty cool, from uh, Gemini, sorry, yes, Gemini Man. (laughs) I was already jumping to the new show, I was almost going to tell you the next show's name. Uh, But uh, yeah, Ben Murphy, uh, cool guy, cool actor it seems, Uh, and uh, looks like from his Wikipedia uh, entry, he's 77 now, but he's... um, he's got still acting credits up till like 2010 so he acted for a good long time you know his earliest credits look like from the like 60s and up through like I said 2010 still around so uh, the the other show like I was I mentioned earlier uh, a very other uh, a cool show if you're into uh, westerns and something that lasted this was in the early 70s um, lasted for 50 episodes alias Smith and Jones. A very cool show from the early 70s, a Western show, uh, which that one is out on DVD, I believe. So, yeah, I know it is. All right. Next up, we're going back even a f- little bit further in time. We're going back to even where uh, my memory is getting pretty sketchy to the early 70s. I, I was going to this this show was originally going to be about 80s shows, but I, it's turning into a show, a, a show about mostly 70s. I'm going to do one 80s one, I think, at the end. Um, but... Um, uh, mostly a show about uh, 70s uh, TV series. And and some of this stuff, like I said, I think I've mentioned occasionally, briefly here and there. Uh, but um, the next one, this one's more of a spy show, a spy series, uh, secret agent kind of thing. But I think it definitely falls into, because there was some pretty high-tech stuff used in this show uh, that made it, let, let's call it almost James Bond on TV. That's basically what this show was um, or is. And this, this show is called Search, uh, which is a kind of... I never really... I thought that title was sort of weird always, uh, but um, they had a pilot movie. this Back in the 70s, the other thing I should have mentioned is I think all of these shows uh, had a, a roughly a two-hour pilot film that was produced. Man from Atlantis did that. They actually did multiple pilot movies, four of them, um, and, and they did that with... Um, Fantastic Journey, they did it with the Invisible Man, I think Gemini Man 2 maybe, but uh, definitely with Search, because the, and this, you I know you can find, because I haven't bought it yet, but I'm about to click it, I'll probably do it today actually, because I'm talking about it, but the pilot movie for the Search TV series is called Probe, so keep that in mind, it, it's got a different name, uh, because the little control agency is called Probe, um, and um, they're, uh, they're yeah, I'll talk more about that in a minute. Anyway, um, but this show, Search this uh, this ran for one season on also on NBC. Which you got to hand it to NBC. NBC was the big was the big network back in the '70s that really took shots at these um, these show, shows like this. Man from Atlantis was on there. The Logan's Run TV series was on there. I, I think was every show that I've talked about so far on NBC. I think most of them were. Anyway, this one was Search. Uh, this is a science fiction show created by Leslie Stevens um, on NBC. It aired from uh, September 13th, 1972 to August 29th, uh, 1973. And I was just a little kid and and I can remember my parents watching this. And I never really caught it when it was airing and, and watched it years later. Uh, but um, but essentially, let me give you the, the Wikipedia thing. Uh, Search is an American science fiction series that aired on Wednesday nights on NBC, uh, from September, uh, 72 to August, 73. Like I said, it ran for 23 episodes, not including the original two hour pilot film, which was called Probe, uh, was picked up for a series production. The title had to be changed because Probe was the name of an existing PBS series. Okay. So that's why, um, here is a little bit more on the overall plot of this show. The series center on, centers on the World Securities Corporation, a high-tech international private investigating company that employs field operatives, call them, you know, secret agents. The elite of whom are in, are aided by implanted audio receivers who carry scanners. Uh, they they have a little tiny camera thing which can be attached to tie clips or other jewelry. The most common method is to wear the scanner as a ring or, or have it on a tie thing like I said or a little pin on your lapel or something like that. Each episode features one of three primary agents uh, that follows an investigation. Usually it's something fairly simple like someone's been killed or there's something stolen that's of great value. Um, they're not quite world you know ending kind of James Bond kind of stuff sometimes. So, uh, the main agents, uh, the actors that were on the show, they were all guys, um, very Bond, you know, centric at the time. Hugh O'Brien played Hugh Lockwood. Uh, he was, uh, probe one lead, the lead operative on the show. Uh, Tony Francioso, uh, Nick Bianco, which I thought I've always thought that was the coolest name. Uh, Nick Bianco. He's, um, He's the head of the Omega Division, which specializes in organized crime cases. And Doug McClure, uh, who, who did a lot of acting on TV back in the day, people probably know that name. Hugh O'Brien, you probably know, uh, played um, uh, Doug played C.R. Grover. He was a standby probe agent. He was kind of the emergency backup agent. The So the interesting thing about this show, and I don't remember or know, I'd have to figure it out and spend some time, but these these actors kind of actually alternated in in the episodes. So one one week you'd have Hugh O'Brien as Hugh Lockwood show up uh, doing a show. Then another week you'd have Tony Francioso as Nick Bianco show up. So that was a little different, you know, because you have your basically your lead actor kind of bouncing around between three different guys, right? And then you had the sort of in back at the headquarters people who would monitor the agent in the field using their audio implant and this scanner device um you would have the what's called the probe control staff and the in the biggie in this show uh burgess Mer- meredith was in this he was the director of probe control unit of the probe control unit and they would advise the agents like you know what they're seeing you know they could scan things they could point the the little the little scanner at a at a wall and see that there's a wall safe there you know jazz like that help them open things get in get through places basically aid them when they're in the field um so a a really super concept i mean uh, you know we're getting it we just have that trailer out now for um the new james bond movie uh and i i've always been a huge bond fan um and, and unfortunately, though, this um, this show didn't last after the season. Didn't do great in the ratings. Here it's saying it only it rated 63 out of 75 shows for that season, uh, which I don't know really. To me, this is, this is probably the most mass appeal. Like um, the show out of all the ones probably I'm going to be talking about, you know, a show about the Bermuda Triangle and being trapped on an island and an Invisible Man shows those i get maybe that they're not really general public friendly but the bond films have always been pretty well received and pretty popular so i this is the show that i'm i'm a little mo, i'm the most surprised about this show not not doing all that well for who knows for whatever reason so but um but, yeah, really good, um, uh, a well-known executive producer in that era. Leslie Stevens worked on this. He worked on a lot of genre-type shows. It was on for, uh, like I said, they got a full season out of this one, so 23 episodes. Um, like I said, this one is out. Uh, the, the Search Complete series on DVD uh, came out back in 2014. Uh, you can also, the, the Probe pilot movie that's a separate uh, DVD you have to buy. It doesn't come, I don't think, with the the season set. So you can pick up this show. Um, and I think it still kind of holds up. I mean, the tech was sort of futuristic. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the stories are pretty straightforward. But uh, they had a very, very strong, very charming cast. Um, Angel Tompkins was this medical technician. She'd always monitor the agents in the field of, like, if they were okay and hurt or whatever. Um so they and then Burgess and Meredith again running control. So the um, one of the coolest thing, though, about this, because to me, this being a very Bond kind of TV series is the music. And you're going to pick up how this um, what I mean about this, especially if you th- keep in mind, like late 60s, 70s Bond films and the music and the way they sounded. And I'm going to play in a minute here. I'll play the um, the theme song to this show, but it has a very, very to me a very very bond kind of feel. And I'm trying to see who did the music. da 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 the hardware, the tech. Da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, I'm not finding it right off the bat. Might be listed in it's probably listed in the credits on the shows, but uh but anyway, oh no, here we go. Dominic uh Frontier is the composer. So uh and uh try to pull his Wikipedia entry up to here. See what else he worked on. Oh, he worked on a lot of stuff. Big, big composer. Hey, Vartok, here's a composer, a, a TV composer, but, um, he worked on a lot of television. Uh, yeah. And film too. So, uh, yeah, Dominic Frun, I think that's how you say his last name. Frontier, uh, American composer, arranger, jazz accordionist, uh, he worked on Outer Limits. Wow. Yeah. The Fugitive, The Immortal, um, a lot of movies hang him high. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff. Brand again, The Gumball Rally, The Stuntman, The Aviator, Color of Night. Yeah. Matt Houston, Vegas. Um, yeah, good, good guy. So, He definitely has uh, the chops or, you know, the experience and all. And it shows because this is this is one of my favorite themes, probably maybe of (laughs) uh, it's in top 10, top 20 theme songs. But anyway, here is the theme song to the TV show Search. So there is the music theme to the opening of search that um, the audio isn't the, the quality of that isn't the greatest as a clip off YouTube. But they um, actually on the in the pro pilot movie, there's a there's a better clip up on uh, YouTube with a longer opening theme song from that. Uh, and the quality is better because I think that that came directly off the release DVD. So uh it's a cool show, and that that's a show that that is really ripe for rebooting either on TV or into a movie or something like that. Really great concept, uh, way ahead of its time. All right, let's do let's do one more show. I'm already at about an hour of the podcast. One more quick one. I've talked about this show a couple times before, but it's a it's a real favorite of mine uh, for a lot of reasons, and so I never never get tired of talking about it and, and bringing it up this one we're jumping into the mid eighties now when still there wasn't a ton of, of uh, sci-fi fantasy on television. Uh, but, um, uh, this, the show that I'm talking about now, uh, this one's a little more fun and lighthearted than most of the shows that I've already covered. This one's called misfits of science. Uh, I had a great opening theme song, which I'll play for you in a couple of minutes. Uh, this was also on NBC from October 4th, 1985 to May 16th, 1986. Um, this is, yeah, this is that superhero kind of television show, basically, uh, about a group of of kind of quirky people who all have, all have different kinds of powers. Courtney Cox is in this. Uh, she had sort of uh, mental powers, telepathy, or telepathy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so uh, this is one of her earliest uh, jobs, earliest roles. Uh, let me uh, give you a... Um, Real quick breakdown. The show concerns superpowered humans and their madcap adventures. The team is formed by Dr. Billy Hayes, who is played by uh, Dean Paul Martin, Dean Martin's son, who tragically died uh, when he was really young in a, in a plane accident, I think it was. Um, he's a research scientist at the Human Dying Research Institute uh, who specializes in human anomalies. Hey, Anomaly Podcast. How do you like that? Uh, he works with Dr. Elvin L. Lincoln. Uh, and they, together they recruit, uh, electrically powered Johnny Bukowski, a uh, rock and roll music, musician, sorry. And, uh, Gloria Denalo, who's played by Courtney Cox. She's the telekinetic teen. Uh, although I don't think she was really, was she a teen when this show came out? I have to look, see what her age is and all that, maybe 20 or something, but, um, so, uh, yeah, this show uh, did not last long. <laughs> it is quirky. It is goofy. Uh, but it was fun, I thought. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, and it, um, like I said, it ran uh, on uh, NBC for 16 episode. Si- sorry, 16 episodes. I just quickly looked. Um, this is a weird one because, okay, so there are a lot of these episodes of this show on um, YouTube. I think just about all of them. The other thing that you can do, it's really weird. This this show must have been kind of popular in Europe because there are actually two releases you can get via Amazon. One's a Region 2 PAL version for people who know foreign foreign DV talk, uh, DVD stuff. Uh, You can find that, which is Region 2. You just need the right kind of player um, to play it. Uh, And uh, that one was released over in Germany. And then there was one that was in, I think it's, in France, they released a version, and they they renamed the show called they called it Super Minds, which is weird. Um, but that's also another region two entry, and I think both have English. You know, it was done in English, and I think it's just dubbed or subtitled for the other languages. So it isn't like you're gonna have to watch it in German or watch it in, in French if you buy those versions but check it out there are ways to watch this one and uh yeah so with that I, i've talked about this show before really fun i'm going to play the uh, theme uh, music and then i'll come back and wrap up today's podcast
1: those misfits misfits of science ha, ha. These scientific guys, I love them Yeah, the old Thespits
0: So there you go. There's uh, Misfits of Science, uh, which I, I, I always got a kick out of that show. A lot of fun. The um, goofy episodes, but uh, but uh, enjoyable. Uh, the, um, the other thing I liked about this show, they had uh, – I always wanted one. They had these hoodies they wore that um, they made that had on the back, like the it said, Misfits of Science. And since I've always worked in sort of sciences and labs and things – I always wanted one of those to wear around uh, because I always thought my thought of myself as sort of a misfit of science. So, yeah, the um, the here's uh, one little bit of trivia for this. Episode nine was the first paid writing job for Tim Kring, who later for people who know the name Tim Kring, remember, Uh, he later went on to um, to produce the show uh, Heroes in 2006 so which which sort of had a similar theme, right? Because it involved people with super abilities and things like that. So this obviously is an area that he likes to work in. And uh, yeah, so when I looked up, it looks like Courtney Cox was about 20 when they were doing this show. Based on her age and, and birth date. So, all right. Um, yeah. So, we're like an hour and 10 or so. That's plenty for this podcast. There's tons of other stuff I could talk about. You know, we didn't cover the biggies, you know, $6 million man, bionic woman, uh, Knight Rider. Uh, I've covered some of that stuff before, but I think it's important to go back and I, I, I feel like a, a bit of a broken record. Okay. Throw out the OK Boomer comments now, but. It is. Uh, it still is incredible and amazing to me. Every fall, you know, I would I would search and read magazines because you know there was no internet way way back, and I would search you know magazines and TV guide and stuff about hey what what new show are we going to get that could be you know something I would like because even back then with less um, sci fi and fantasy available, I didn't watch other shows <laughs> really. It wasn't like I filled in you know uh, with, with other things. I mean, I watch the occasional, you know, drama type regular show, uh, but, but not a lot. I've, I've always leaned into this stuff and obviously. So, uh, so in each year we would get a new show and then (laughs) 10 episodes or 15 episodes, it wouldn't, you know, it would, it'd be lucky if it even made it over, over through the whole first season and then it'd just be poof gone. And that that's that. And, and, uh, yeah, so it's uh, you know the. I guess the point is, is appreciate all the stuff that we've have now because it's it's really incredible. And I, and I, you know the the ones that you know, like a couple of years ago when Star Trek Discovery started and people complaining about it, you know, it, it it just boggles my mind. How could you complain about it? About getting new fun content, even though you, yeah, okay, you got to pay for CBS All Access. And I've talked about that a lot, but I'm just like, okay, if you don't want it, that's fine. But don't complain about it. My goodness. I mean, these companies, this is how it works. And, and you know, last thing I'll say on that is is this is why shows didn't continue because without ratings back then, they weren't getting money. And without money, you know, commercial time and air, you know, that they couldn't afford to do the show. And another way to get money these days is... You know, what they're doing with Disney Plus, what they're doing with CBS All Access, what they're doing with DC Universe's uh, streaming app. Uh, They're going to have HBO Max, which is a separate thing. Uh, This is how they're paying for these shows. HBO, you know, is a subscription thing. That's how Game of Thrones got made. So, uh, I mean, I get people saying, you know, they're complaining about stuff and saying, well, I want it all for free. Well, when you had it all for free, it was so dependent on ratings. That's why you didn't get stuff like this. So, um it's a double-edged sword, people. You got to pay for what you get. You pay for pay for what you get. It's not a free, no free lunches. So, but you know that's not a that's not anything new. And uh, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. I love uh, this old stuff. Uh, I've I've thought about over the years. So I don't think I ever want to add another podcast. But I've I've always thought about doing. Uh, I w- I always thought about uh, hooking up with like Mark Daniels or. Or, uh, or whatever, and, and like doing just a retro movie, retro TV podcast, stick to that. Um, but I, I, I can easily slide all that stuff into uh Trex and sci fi. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't need another podcast to do. All right, folks. Um, that's about it for this week. I, I hope you again enjoyed this. Next week should be a guest spot, probably with Mark. I hope I'm going to try to contact him and see if we can get a. See we get another uh, classic uh, show in. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll be doing, um, gosh, that'll be two weeks. Yeah, I'll be back in two weeks. We'll be doing a, uh, a Christmas vidcast. I think I'm going to shoot for the 23rd for that. Uh, I might do it live. I haven't really decided yet. And I think it's going to be a lot focused on my reaction to Rise of Skywalker along with, um, along with other things. So uh, that's what's coming up. And I think at the end of this week's show, I'm going to play one of Rick Moyer's timeless christmas uh, nerd trek classic uh or you know merry trekmas type show or merry trekmas sorry merry trekmas songs that he did years back and are still very enjoyable to play each year at this time of the year and uh so enjoy your week folks hope you enjoyed the show i'll talk to you again soon bye
2: hey everybody merry christmas Star Trek on cable and movies in IMAX iPhones with apps that don't require payback Static free packages complete with bling These are a few of my geekiest things Cream colored towers with drives that play Blu-ray Cell phones with touch screens and Xbox that we play Sci-Fi is playing a monster that stings These are a few of my geekiest things. Big screens that play at a high resolution. Cars that use electric to save on pollution. My cue on Netflix, just what does it bring? These are a few of my geekiest things. I've got terabytes when the iPod sings. When I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my geekiest things. And then... I don't feel so bad. We're all just waiting for the new movie. Kirk and the crew are young, hey, they are groovy. Enterprise being built in dry dock things. These are a few of my geekiest things. Doing the Vulcan salute to my family. A life size John Luke cardboard cut outstanding. Watching the reruns, yes, I have them free. These are a few of my geekiest things. Logging on to the Treks in Sci Fi Forum. Chatting with geeky friends, what a decorum. Writing a character in RPG. These are a few of my geekiest things. When it's Sunday, Rico's fun day, when I'm feeling sad, I simply download my favorite cast, and then I don't feel so bad.
0: Merry Christmas, Trex and Sci-Fi. This has been a Rick Dostey Podcast Production.